0: Hear the word of God as recorded in Psalm 106, verses 34 through 48. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and and shed innocent blood the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices, and played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hands of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them, Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel, and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake, and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's
1: pray together. Father and our God, we are incredibly, incredibly thankful. Lord, we're thankful that you are indeed mighty to save and you have saved to the utmost your people who are called by your name. Father, we're thankful that you have drawn us to this place to gather as your children. I pray humbled by the fact that... uh, Lord, you've kept us for yourself. Despite, Lord, our oftentimes of unfaithfulness, you have consistently proved yourself to be faithful. Lord, I would pray that your gracious and merciful hand would guide our ears, guide speaking. Lord, would all we say, do, and think for the next few moments bring glory to your name. Lord, would your word do what it promises to do, not return to you void. Look upon your servants this day, Lord, one we've never seen before, nor nor shall we see again. And give us a grateful heart, a humble heart, a repentant heart, a praiseful heart, a rejoicing heart, an anticipating heart for your glorious return. We love you and we thank you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we... Approach a topic that has continued to divide much of our country. Unfortunately, it has even divided much of Christendom in terms of how we approach this subject, sanctity of life. It's necessary that as we think through these things this morning, that we do so in humility, in grace, Truth. I don't pretend to know your story. I don't pretend to know where any of you have come from. Don't know the depths of how abortion may affect you as you sit here this morning. I don't know if you're a female in here who has had an abortion, a husband or a boyfriend who is pressured a girlfriend or a wife to have an abortion. I don't know if you're a grandparent or an aunt, an uncle, family member who was pressured others to forfeit the life of their child. I don't know if that's you. I I don't know what you think as you consider this morning's topic. If you're one who wants to stop up your ears and say, I I don't want to hear this. I I pray that you do want to hear, and I pray that as difficult as this topic is, that you will find hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I assure you that you can find peace? I, I can assure you that the thoughts never go away of the mistakes you've made in the past in regards to this subject in particular, but you can find peace you can find hope, you can find restoration in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you, you, you know that and that you hear that. This morning we want to talk about three different aspects of the text that we heard read. The sin of rebellion, the grace of repentance and the hope of restoration. The sin of rebellion, the grace of repentance and the hope of restoration in this psalm psalm 105 is largely about the faithfulness of god as we find ourselves here in psalm 106 it's largely about the 800 year history of israel and those of you who have spent any time in the old testament in particular the book of judges you realize that israel was an incredibly unfaithful people and lest we indict god uh, let's remind ourselves of God's patience with his people. God's consistent compassion on his people. God consistently delivers his people. God consistently watches over and protects his people. Despite their unfaithfulness, God proves himself time and time again to be faithful. And I want you to rest assured, brothers and sisters this morning, that God indeed is still on the throne and He is still faithful. He is still compassionate and He is still merciful. In this Psalm, we believe that it was written during the captivity that the writer who is unknown is recalling Israel's sinful rebellion their, their sinful past, but he's also looking forward to a future of salvation and restoration. And I want to be very clear this morning, maybe you look back on the mistakes of the past and you say, I was rebellious, I made huge mistakes. Can I assure you that there is salvation and there can be restoration? Just like God delivered and protected Israel, he will do the same for us. Three major points I want to look at this morning. The sin of rebellion with the Lord's people we see in verses 34 through 39. We see a couple things that I want to highlight. Number one, we see their failure to destroy the people. We're told there in verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples. God had commanded them throughout Scripture to go into the land. Destroy the people. Do not co-mingle with them. If you've got your, your Bibles, quickly turn with me back to Judges. Because Judges gives us a picture of what God expected his people to do. If you look there in chapter 1, verse 21, we find the following words. I'll give you a couple moments to get there. They are told after Joshua goes in to conquer the land, to go in and possess the land. I am with you, you can, you can do this, my power, my authority, I'm with you, you will be able to conquer the lands, but they don't do that. In verse 21 we see, but the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The whole idea was for the nation not to co-mingle with the people, but to rather drive them out. If you look down in verse 27, we will consistently see a common theme. Manasseh took possession of the inhabitants of the land, but they did not drive them out in verse 28. Ephraim, verse 29, did not drive out the Canaanites. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Aco. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Naphtali, in verse 33, did not drive out the inhabitants. You see a consistent Theme They did not do as God had commanded in driving out, in destroying the people from the land. And as a result of not destroying the people, they failed to divide from the people. They actually became uh, and, and commingled with the people. If you're still there in Judges, go to chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Judges 3, verse, verses 5 and 6. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites. Then we begin to see... Uh, Some of these people, at least their tribes, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they're living amongst these people. And what do they do there in verse 6? They took their daughters for themselves as wives. How did that work out for Solomon? At the end of his life, when he embraced his foreign wives, he not only embraced them, he embraced their gods and became apostate. The nation of Israel does the same. Look there in verse six. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives and they gave their own daughters to their sons and they served their gods. Verse seven, the sons of Israel did not do what was right. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And listen to this. It's amazing. Despite all God's goodness and faithfulness to them, they forgot about the Lord, their God. How does that happen to a people? Where God had been so evident. God had been the very cornerstone of their existence. Yet they forgot about what he did. A couple things that they did here. They learned the customs of the people. The people were idolaters. All the customs of the land were about pleasing a deity. It was seeking a deity. I must do something to serve this deity. I must do something from the people's perspective. I must do something to gain his favor. Was that Israel's posture before God? The gracious God, Yahweh, had revealed himself to them in power and in might throughout the nation. What did the people have to do for God to show up? Obey. Love him. That's it. There were to be no sacrifices. There were to be no, not in the sense of child sacrifice. There were to be no uh, making of idols. We see that expressly forbid in Exodus 20. They learned the customs of the people that they were to destroy. Not only did they learn the custom, they served their gods. Now, here's what's crazy. Yahweh, the true and living God, had destroyed most of those gods, but yet they would destroy a people oftentimes, and they would take the gods of the people that were destroyed. Now, help me understand that. We got any psychologists here? What sense does that make? It makes no sense. They not only learned the customs of the people, they served their gods And it gets worse, brothers and sisters, as we look at the text. And I'm amazed at how graphic, how clear the writer of this psalm is in verse 37. They even, they fell for this snare in verse 36 by serving idols. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. We've reminded you of this before, that behind every false idol is is, is a demon demon. It's false worship, it's idolatry, but you're worshiping demons. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed, in verse 38, innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. With the blood of who? The blood of the innocent. The blood of those babies who were offered as a sacrifice to Molech. Despite being told time and time again, they sacrificed their children to demons. Look at a verse here. Uh, I'm always amazed that people, when they uh, start their Bible reading program, most of us skip over Leviticus. Don't do that. There is some rich theology and rich history in Leviticus. Now, it can get a little dry. I'm not going to lie. But there's good stuff here. Look at what God says to the people. Now, this is long before they're going to possess the land. They're given the law of God. This is how you should act. This is what you should be. I'm a holy God and I want my people to be holy. He says these words. Then the Lord God spoke to Moses saying, You shall also say to the sons of Israel, Any man from the sons of Israel or from the alien sojourning in Israel who gives his offspring to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. God is taking child sacrifice serious to the point that those who do it are to be killed by the stone. I will also set my face against that man. I will even cut him off among, from among his people because he has given some of his offspring to Molech. What does it do when we sacrifice children to Molech? It defiles the sanctuary and profanes his holy name. Why? Because children and babies and all individuals who have ever been born are made Imago Dei in the image of God, they're a reflection of God's glory. And to sacrifice them to demons, to Molech in this case, is to profane his holy name. His name is highly exalted. He is, he's a God of life. He's a God of love. He's a God of thriving. He's a God of peace to those who enjoy his peace and his presence. And for the most innocent not to be able to enjoy that, to be sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, to so pollute the land, is a mockery to the name of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, that has not changed today. The sin of abortion in our world is a mockery to the God who made us and who created us in His own image. The land screams with blood if Israel's land and the land of Canaan screams and the grave is shouting from the unborn. What is happening in America since 1973? And even before that, 1973 when it's legalized, how has our land been polluted? How are our communities and homes been polluted by the blood of the innocent? Maybe not at the altar of Moloch. Maybe not in some ritual sacrifice of some pagan deity. But in the quiet confines of a doctor's office. In the sterilized instruments of an abortion doctor. We've cleaned it up, haven't we? We don't even call babies babies. We call them fetuses. Meeting little one. Little what? Little baby. We've called it family planning. We've called it choice. The psalmist doesn't do that with the text. He takes the, he takes the niceties out of it. Blood was offered. Blood is being offered, brothers and sisters, in abortion clinics across this land as we speak today. In the Journal of Ministry and Theology, volume 17, in an article, Canaanite Child Sacrifice Abortion in the Bible, Henry B. Smith Jr. posits the four points I have on your outline. And he compares what was happening in Carthage, in Canaanite land, with what's going on today. Child sacrifice and abortion. Crisis or convenience, he writes. The main reason for sacrificing a child was, he writes, to avert potential dangers in a crisis or to gain success in fulfilling a vow. He he tells the story of an issue that was happening in Carthage and they wanted to avert this calamity. So what they did they publicly sacrificed hundreds of children in order to avert the disaster. The disaster was not being averted. So what they found out was that the rich were going and buying children from the poor and sacrificing the poor person's children and not their own. So because the disaster continued, they then sacrificed their own children. The disaster continued and adults began to sacrifice Themselves. It was done to try to parlay, if you will, or appease the deity that they're serving. Well, in our current world, the socioeconomic concerns play a role in the sacrifice of children. I can't afford to have a baby now. I'm whatever age. I'm in college. I'm a young person. I can't afford to have a baby. Pregnancies that are unexpected bring out fears in a young couple or a young woman. And they say, this baby is an intrusion upon my life. This baby will upset my future plans. This baby will not give me the life that I want. Therefore, out of sheer convenience, I will take the life of my child. I will offer the child for myself in a sense that it will make me happy. In our current world, this is celebrated. Michelle Williams at the Golden Globes a few weeks ago stands up and says, I thank God for abortion. She doesn't go into what she means by that. Some have believed that she had had a previous abortion and that abortion or having a baby would have upset her acting career. But the fact that she aborted the baby gave her the freedom to go and be and do all that she could be. Now, what's ironic about her as she gives this speech is that she's pregnant. Now, isn't that strange? I find it always amazing that folks who have an abortion will ask us to applaud them. And they are applauded, brothers and sisters, in many many arenas, for having an abortion. But if that same person were to have a miscarriage out on Instagram, it's pray for me. I lost my child. Isn't that rather strange? Abortion. Sheer convenience as it was in Canaan. So it is today. Sexual promiscuity. Clearly, clearly. For the people of Israel, this was not to happen. You you know, and we have turned this away. You know, we've kind of made it. uh, This is old fuddy-duddy kind of talk. Um, If you weren't married, you didn't have sex. Shocking. I I remember speaking to a brother uh, about this. He he had been divorced. And he said, I'm never getting married again. I said, oh. And he was in his 50s. I said, oh, so you're going to be celibate the rest of your life. And he doesn't have a smile like I have now. His face gets very sad. He goes, "Oh yeah, that, that's 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 right. I, I forgot that marriage. this a brother's a Christian. I forgot that marriage is where the sexual union between a man and a woman is supposed to happen. I didn't think about that. I'm never getting married again. Bible expressly forbids men and women to engage in sexual union that are meant for marriage. Once you get married." Have babies. But in this time, in this land, remember there were temple prostitutes. So I'm a man who was going to go and worship at the temple and the temple prostitute gets pregnant. What do we do with that baby? We sacrifice that child. The sexual liaison we had in the act of religious worship is to be offered to the deity before us I'm not taking this child home and there were many other reasons you realize that uh, marriage was not valued in many of these cultures and uh, any kind of monogamous relationship is not valued so if my concubine gets pregnant I don't keep that baby we sacrifice it as an idol well how do we see that in our world today over 80% of all abortions in the United States are of unwed mothers pressured possibly by boyfriends or parents, but they're unwed. In Pennsylvania in 2018, there were 30,364 abortions performed. Of that, more than 88%, 26,832 were performed on unwed, unmarried women. The majority of women who are getting abortions, at least in Pennsylvania, are unwed. By the way, the age, the largest age group is 25 to 29 in Pennsylvania. By the way, Lehigh County had 820 abortions, 820 lives snuffed out in 2018. Needless to say, brothers and sisters, this uh, kind of thinking is very prevalent in our culture. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Nancy Piercy, but in her book, a great, great, great work, Love Thy Body, uh, she writes this, tells the following story, and it's the, the title of, of this section of this chapter. is Turning Babies into Enemies. I, I had to read this for you. Her view of sex has repercussions for understanding of marriage, family, children, and society. For example, Jennifer Fulweiler is a convert to Catholicism, yet for years after her conversion, she remained in favor of abortion. Why? Her answer gives an invaluable insight into the way many of our secular friends think. She explains Faultweiler of her sexual view of sexuality. The literature used in sexual education, she says, was geared almost exclusively to questions of technique, how-tos of sex and contraception. Rarely did the materials even mention the word love and marriage, family, or children. The message I heard, listen to this, and this is the mantra I think that is happening in our culture today. The message I heard loud and clear was the purpose of sex was for pleasure and bonding, that its potential for creating life was purely tangential, almost to the point of being forgotten about altogether. I thought of pregnancies that weren't were planned as akin to being struck by lightning while walking down the street, something totally unpredictable and undeserved. That's how many in our world see pregnancy after sexual liaisons for whatever reason, in whatever capacity, and they simply want to do away with the child. Another thought here is population control. In studying this, Smith writes, and I, I had never heard this insight before, in looking at these Canaanite religions, he says that the quarter of a million people that live there at, at its height... They didn't have the land or the agriculture to sustain that kind of life and they began to study and try to determine when babies were killed and they felt like at the height of the population was also the height of child infanticide, of, of sacrificing children. And he believes, he surmises that that's due to population control. That we don't have enough, we don't have enough food to feed the people that we have. Do you realize that that argument has not gone away? Uh, I, I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not saying this toward uh, any political side. But when I came across this and I heard it back in 2019 from Bernie Sanders, it, it, it was a, it was shocking then, and it's still shocking today. Uh, I, I want to give you the question that was asked in a town hall meeting, and he's being interviewed by Anderson Cooper. Here's the question from a young teacher. A teacher stood up and asked this question. Human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize that this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face. Empowering women and educating everyone to the need to curb population growth seems to be a reasonable campaign to enact. What are you talking about? That sounds really nice. That sounds really um, very astute. That sounds pretty sharp. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate, the climate catastrophe? There's a lot of, lot of things in there we could parse out. Don't have the time for that. Here's what Brother Bernie Sanders says. The answer is yes. And the answer has everything to do with the fact that women in the United States of America, by the way, have the right to control their own bodies and make reproductive decisions. She asked about population control, Bernie. There's... There's not enough food. There's not enough planet for people to live on. Bernie sees where she's going. He, He understands what she's asking. He understands that women in America have the right to abort their babies, which is going to contribute to supporting population control, not sucking up all the air. He goes on to say, And the Mexico City Agreement, if you've studied that, don't take the time, that basically we have outsourced abortion and we want to fund it, at least some in our political arenas do, in other lands and other cultures. Uh, Right now that has been rescinded by God's grace. That we don't do that. But we have tried to do this in Africa and other parts of the world. That women need to have the right to abort their children in those lands. He goes on to say, which denies American aid to those organizations around the world that allow women to have abortions or even get involved with birth control to me is totally absurd. In other words, your taxpayer dollars need to support the killing of a baby elsewhere. That's what he's saying. Sorry. (laughs) Calm down, David. Now listen to this, if it's not bad enough, because poor women in other countries aren't smart enough to understand that they don't have the resources and they don't have the know-how to, to how really to care for families, family. So we need to, to make sure that they take care of that. So I think especially in poor countries around the world where women do not necessarily want to have large numbers of babies and where they can have the opportunity through birth control, he's calling abortion birth control. To control the number of kids they have is something I very, very strongly support. Probably the Democratic nominee for the White House this year, next year, this year. Abortion today is sanctioned all around the world. Countries like China, the one-child policy has been rescinded. Now they get to have two. Population control is a reason. Babies are offered on the doctor's table because we can't provide for them or think that we can provide for them. Last piece of this is defective children. Out of all this, brothers and sisters, this is uh, rather sad that we see then and now handicapped children who are defective, who are not the kind of child that we think they should be, are slaughtered. One story is told by a secular historian. A man named Tuckus sacrifices children to his to Baal and he says these words. His mute son, Bodastart, a defective child, he offers it to Baal in exchange for a healthy one. Will you take this defective one and give me? A whole child, a quote-unquote normal child, as you well know today, in utero. If a child has a, a seemingly going to have a problem, the women have an opportunity to terminate that pregnancy, whether through Down syndrome or any other uh, issue that may arise in utero. And if I've seen it, uh, there's an inordinate amount of pressure put on that woman. If you're going to have a child that has special needs or have these issues, why don't we just abort it? Because this child is going to be burdensome to you. We did it then. We are doing it now to the point that we've had to create laws that babies who are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb aren't going to be aborted for that reason. How do we interpret Psalm 139 for children that are born, quote unquote, defective? They are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. There is value. They are human beings. Is is, is life difficult? Is, is, Is life hard? Absolutely. Life was hard with me. Life's hard. But if God has gifted you with a child with special needs, then God has gifted you with a child with special needs. How dare us say, God, what you have made is not of value to me. It is difficult for me. So I choose to get rid of it. Who are we? We see these things happening in Canaan and they're happening in our world today, brothers and sisters. They sacrificed their children in Canaan. The land was polluted with blood. Our land is polluted with blood. Francis Schaeffer in a Christian manifesto writes these words. Certainly every Christian ought to be praying and working to nullify the abominable abortion law. But as we work and pray, we should also have in mind not only the important issue as though it stood alone. I like the way he writes this. Rather, we should be struggling and praying that the whole other total entity... What's this total entity that he's talking about? This godless worldview can be rolled back with all the results across all of life. What's he saying? We should not only want to make abortion illegal, we want to make it unthinkable. We, we want a family to so value the fact that God has given them life in the womb that they would dare not destroy it, but do anything in their power to protect it. Brothers and sisters, as we look back down the quarters of time and we say at the Holocaust, we must say to people in Germany, what were you doing? How did you allow such atrocities in your land? How did you let laws and people be displayed such as they were? How's history going to judge us, brothers and sisters? How's, how are they going to look back on American Christians? And hear me here, please. I am not advocating violence. I am advocating involvement. 54 million babies killed last year across our world. 54 million. Every year in America, 1 million, 1.2. Planned Parenthood celebrates their record numbers. Child sacrifice and abortion. Crisis or convenience. Sexual promiscuity. Population control. Defective children. Continue to look at the text. They learned the people's customs. They serve their gods. They sacrifice their children to demons. They defiled themselves. Not defied. It should be defiled. I apologize for that misspelling. So what's God do? In verse 40 we see in 106. The Lord's anger was kindled against his people and he abhorred. He abhorred his inheritance. It's amazing. Deuteronomy 7 says, I I, I loved you. I I set my affection upon you. Jeremiah is going to tell us that that God has loved his nation with with an everlasting love. Yet here we see because they are doing such things, they are embracing the land and the people and the customs and the sacrifice. God hates his people. And what's he do? Well, remember the person writing this is looking at the history of Israel. God then says, in 586, the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy you. And brothers and sisters, we as Americans ought to be very, very mindful of this kind of thinking. Now, now here's what I'm not saying. Please don't misunderstand. I am not a prophet. I am not saying God is going to destroy America. I am not saying that. But I am saying if God is God, I don't see how he can't destroy America. I don't know that for sure. How can we have done since we've done legally since 1973 that we have applauded since 1973? When I say we, I'm not talking about a lot of Christians. How could God bless us? How can we ask God to bless our country? Millions and millions lost God in His grace. Judges them. Now you might say, well, wow, how how is judgment? How how, how is judgment grace? How is judgment? Well, what's Hebrews tell us about the discipline? Discipline doesn't feel good. Judgment doesn't feel good. But the fact that God still wanted to deal with Israel in such a way. um, And if you look at the book of Judges, it can be summed up in in five words. Uh, Rebellion. Right, the people rebel. This is the Israel's history. They they rebel against God. There's retribution from God. There's there's repentance. There's restoration, and then there's rest. Then what happens? Let's do it again. <laughs> We're going to rebel. There's going to be retribution from God. We're going to repent. We're going to be restored. We're going to rest. Ah, we like it the first two times. Let's do it again. That's the cycle throughout Judges. Uh, it's, it's funny, you see it Judges at the beginning, every man does what was right in his own eyes, and at the end of Judges, every man does what is right in his own eyes. That's our world, brothers and sisters. The, that's in the West. We do what is right in our own eyes. Nobody's telling me what to do, and God judges the people for that, and we ought to come out from among them and be the ones who are not advocating in our own families. Abortion. I've been in Christian circles for a long time. Talked to a lot of young people. I have heard stories of Christian parents pressuring the 16-year-old girl who has made a huge mistake to abort their child. Because they can't go bare bringing that pregnant daughter into a church. And feeling the weight of what others might say about their parenting or their daughter. I've heard it far too many times. We do not celebrate the fact that young men and women are sinning. We do not celebrate that. However, should they find themselves pregnant, I praise God that those brave young women and men keep their babies. Don't compound that sin by taking your child's life. Ladies, if you've ever thought about it, some of us who have been a part of this know the pain that you will feel for a long It. It it goes away. It's contextualized at the cross. And I'll explain that at the end of the sermon here in a few moments. In other words, God can restore you. But the pain that you feel, the thoughts that you have about what your baby would have been, that kind of thinking never goes away. Some of you who have been part of this know what I'm talking about. God, in his grace, deals with his people. Maybe God's dealing with you this morning. Maybe you've been dealing with this for years. Maybe you've never, ever really dealt with the pain of an abortion that you paid for, for someone else or that you had yourself or that you pressured someone to have it's a couple of things that we see about God, the God, God, yeah, he, he hated his people. He turned his people over to other, to, to other nations. He delivered them, but he's patient. God's compassionate with his people. He always brings them back. And the last piece we want to see of this is the hope of restoration by the Lord's power. Look at this last piece. They sank down in iniquity we see in verse, verse 43. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress. He heard their cry. He remembered his covenant for their sake. He relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Look at this piece here that they ask, they cry out. This person cries out, Lord save us. O Lord our God, from and gather us from among the nations. Brothers and sisters, if this is the pain that you're feeling through something that you've done in the past, cry out to God, save me. God, rescue me. God, take away this pain. God, we sing about that you're mighty to save. Your your pain, your your depression, the, the, the way you feel about something that you've done in the past may feel like that mountain. We sang that he is able to remove that mountain. God in his power is able to restore you He's able to bring you back as you cry out for restoration. The hope of restoration by the Lord's power. love these verses, Psalm 34, 15 and 16. And then in verse 8, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. I've, I've met many women who after a sermon like this will come up to me and say, David, I just can't. I, I just can't let it go. It, it it just it 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 hovers over me like a cloud. It's it, it's a weight that I just can't let go. And if that's you, you can be restored. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe that's how you're feeling. Last verse. Jesus says these words at his first sermon, quoting from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and to recover the sight of the blind. Pay attention to this because this may be you. Surely it has been me to set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If you can remove your eyes, brothers and sisters, from being fixated on your pain in the past and fix your eyes on Jesus and listen to his words. I promise you, you can walk in freedom. I I, I promise you that the pain of the past, I, I wish I could tell you that it would completely go away. It won't. But God will give you the strength to endure it. You can find rest for your souls. Matthew 11 says, take up his yoke. Sin of abortion. The sin of abortion can be forgiven. But you must cry out, save me. Restore me. Save me, oh God, from the mistake I made, from the sin I committed, either through omission or commission, through funding, through encouraging, through demanding. Forgive me, God. He will restore you. The hope of restoration is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we sang, take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. Lord, many in this room maybe feel the weight of that. Maybe abortion has been something, Lord, that has weighed them down for many, many years. Lord, I'm incredibly sensitive to the brokenhearted. And Lord, I know all too well the the thoughts that weigh us at night. And Father, I thank you that you promised to meet us us there in the pain and the brokenness. And I pray that my brothers and sisters, Lord, would call on you today. And that they would enjoy the freedom found in Christ. I pray that they would understand, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you have cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. but we must ask and cry out for forgiveness in faith and trust that you will restore guide your people to your throne today, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.